0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Let's go ahead and jump right in this week. In the wake of the riot at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers talked to two elected officials who were in the building when the attack took place, Senator Ted Cruz and Representative Colin Allred. Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins joins the show to discuss the rollout of the coronavirus vaccine in the county, and State Representative Jared Patterson talks about the upcoming Texas legislative session, which starts on Tuesday. We start with the attack at the Capitol, though, in which at least five people died, including a Capitol police officer. Several members of the Trump administration have since resigned, including some cabinet secretaries, and dozens have been arrested, including a man photographed sitting at a desk in the House Speaker's office. Even after the disruption, both chambers returned to certify President-elect Joe Biden's victory, ultimately completing the task early Thursday morning. Colin Allred represents Texas's 32nd congressional district, which includes parts of northern Dallas, and talks to Julian Gromer about what it was like to be on the House floor Wednesday. Congressman, first and foremost, we're glad
1: you're okay.
2: Well, thank you. Um, It was a close run thing. And I want to thank you all for having me on and thank you for the responsible way I've seen it covered by all of our local folks here.
1: You were on the floor, as you just said. Can you kind of walk us through what happened?
2: Well, this was very close to being a mass violence event. And uh, I I don't know if I can properly convey just how dangerous it felt uh, to be locked in on the House floor, uh, for the doors to be barricaded, for the windows to be uh, being broken out uh, by these rioters, um, for guns to be drawn uh, by uh, the Capitol Police on the House floor being told to put on our gas mask, You know, I sent a text to my wife that I never thought I'd have to send, uh, saying, whatever happens, uh, I love you. And I meant that, whatever happens, because I didn't know what was going to happen.
3: Representative, how close did you get to the rioters, to the people who stormed the Capitol? And I know you guys knew that there was a pro-Trump rally, that it went on previously, but did you have any idea that they were coming to the Capitol and that they were going to do what they did.
2: Well, really we've learned since then just how close they were to us. And I saw the riders as they were breaking through the windows. I saw them looking through uh, the glass panes onto the House floor uh, as we were trying to exit. Uh, and i it wasn't until afterwards that I saw videos showing uh, some of the entrances to the House floor and showing that they were right there. Uh, and you know, let's be very clear, uh, these folks were not coming Uh, to discuss anything. They were coming to try and abduct, to try and kill, uh, to try and do whatever they could to prevent uh, the ratification of the Electoral College vote. This was an insurrection against American democracy, uh, and it is one of the most serious breaches of our democracy in American history, period. Not in modern history, in American history, period. We knew that there was some chance uh, of violence. Uh, I certainly, when I left for work that day, thought that it might be a difficult day. This is far beyond anything uh, any of us could have imagined.
3: So you think that they were trying to, uh, uh, as you put it, abduct and kill?
2: We've learned uh, that there were specific targets. Uh, They were certainly after the Speaker of the House, uh, after Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, They were after individuals. They were after um, any member of Congress, I think, that they could get a hold of, certainly. Uh, This is, there were, I'm sure, some who just thought that it would be great to uh, raid the Capitol. Uh, But there were individuals in that group who had a specific goal of trying to abduct and or kill uh, members of Congress and members of leadership.
1: How do you try and put the country together after the divisions that we've seen this week? I mean, another example is right on the floor. You got in between colleagues to try to defuse a heated situation.
2: Well, there has to be accountability. And I I mean this uh, not in a partisan way. Uh, This is one of the worst attacks on American democracy in our history and there have to be consequences. For every single one of those thugs and rioters who came into the Capitol, they must be arrested and tried, uh, and I think they should be tried for high crimes against our democracy. Any use of violence for a political purpose, the definition of that is terrorism. These were domestic terrorists, and they must be held accountable. And. The President of the United States must be held accountable. He called them to come to the Capitol. He said, see you in D.C. on on January 6th. It's going to be a wild time. He stood, steps in front of the Capitol, and told them to march on the Capitol, and they listened to him. And there uh, there has to be accountability for that, not just for our democracy, but for every democracy in the world and every democracy that will follow us. We cannot allow this to happen.
3: You mentioned the president, uh, Representative. There has been talk of the 25th Amendment. To remove him from office and also impeachment, that process seems to be gaining steam. What do you think? Are you supportive of impeachment or use of the 25th Amendment?
2: Well, I'll I'll say what I what I think is the, the most accurate description I can give you, which is that I'm in favor of any constitutional action that removes this president from office. I think he is every day that he sits in the Oval Office. He's a danger to our democracy. He's a danger to democracy around the world. Uh, I encourage uh, the Cabinet and the Vice President to avail themselves of the 25th Amendment, which does allow them to meet and decide together to remove the President. I think that is the right thing for them to do. Should they not be willing to do so, we have to uh, pursue all options we have as a Congress uh, to try and protect our democracy, including impeachment. And let me also say this. I hope that this is not seen as a partisan action. This This is not about any policy issue, or ideological issue, this is one of the worst attacks in American history on our democracy. If there is no response, then what does that say about who we are as a country? What does that mean about us? Can government for, of, and by the people actually function if you can sick your supporters uh, on an entire branch of Congress and try to stop uh, the constitutional function? Uh, There has to be some kind of uh, accountability.
3: Just to follow up on Julie's earlier question though, first, I I don't know if you have time for impeachment, but if you do, will that impact or or hurt the ability to bring the nation together or will it further fracture the nation because of the message it could send to Trump's supporters? Well, that's
2: why I hope that it would be a bipartisan process and I've heard some Republican senators uh, saying uh, that they would consider uh, articles. I have, I have to disclose that we've had some private conversations with the public members of Congress who I know uh, would be in support of this. But this is the remedy that the Constitution provides for the Congress to deal with an out-of-control president. Uh, and I certainly recognize the need to lower the temperature. But there also has to be accountability. We are a nation of laws. And those laws, when they're broken, there must be consequences. Otherwise, they mean nothing. Uh, And so, you know, to those who uh, think that this is an attempt to divide the nation, no, no, no. What happened on January 6th when the United States Capitol was sacked by a riotous mob intent on trying to kill members of Congress, that was dividing the nation. Anything after that is trying to put the nation back together.
1: Congressman Allred, first of all, we're glad that you're safe. We're glad that you're okay. And thank you for taking the time to join us, especially after the week you had.
2: Well, thank you, and uh, I just have to say that I am so sorry for our country that we're even having to have these conversations. I was looking forward to a peaceful transition of power from this president to President Joe Biden to continuing to try to work in a bipartisan way to see what I could do to advance all the things that we know have to be done for our country. Uh, This was brought upon us, and now we have to respond to it.
0: When the two chambers did resume, Senator Ted Cruz still objected to the election results along with seven other senators. More than 100 House members did the same. Cruz spoke to Julie on Thursday, less than 24 hours after Congress certified Biden's win.
1: Difficult images to watch yesterday, a very difficult day for this nation. Your reaction to what happened?
4: Well, what happened yesterday in Washington was horrific. It was a terrorist attack on the United States Capitol. It was despicable. Uh, It's a dark day in our nation's history when terrorists can assault uh, the citadel democracy and and that they were able to do so is tragic. and, And every one of those criminals needs to be prosecuted and fully prosecuted and sent to jail for a very long time.
1: Senator, you led the charge calling for an objection pending an electoral commission a lot of tension yesterday. Do you feel some responsibility for
4: what happened yesterday? The job that I was elected to do is to fight for the people of Texas. And, and what I was doing is debating on the floor of the Senate election integrity, how we can protect the integrity of our elections. That has nothing to do with this criminal terrorist assault, which was wrong and needs to be prosecuted. And, and, and It's exactly the opposite. What I was doing is how you're supposed to resolve differences in this country, debating in the United States Congress, in the Senate, uh, having respectful civil disagreements and debating based on the constitution and based on the law. And the topic that I was fighting for, I'm proud to be fighting for all of us working together to make our elections secure, to fight voter fraud, to make sure that every Texans vote counts and, and, and that we can trust in the integrity of our elections.
1: But by continuing to you know, say there was fraud and yet so many of these court cases were thrown out, do you feel by continuing on with this and many lawmakers continuing on with this, questioning the certification, that, that there's some culpability and responsibility to what was seen yesterday?
4: Well, listen, the certification process exists precisely for that pur- purpose. Democrats have objected to the certification in 2000, again in 2005, again in 2016. They have done so over and over and over again. And and what I proposed, it, it's important to understand what I proposed, but I, I, I proposed along with 10 other senators, a group of 11 senators, we proposed an election commission that would conduct an emergency 10-day audit into the very serious claims of voter fraud and election fraud in this past election. It would conclude that independent audit it would inc- conclude it within 10 days, which means before the presidential inaugurations. It would not have delayed anything, and it would have provided some some, some real certainty to have a credible, uh, credible adjudicator consider the evidence and 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 issue a decision. I think that would have actually helped have far greater trust and confidence in our elections. At the end of the day, Congress did not agree to do so, and so we ended the night. Uh, with the results being certified, and, and now we will have a peaceful transition of power to the next administration, to the Joe Biden administration. We're
1: watching resignations from the White House. Today, we saw the transportation secretary leave the White House. There are calls from the 25th, for the 25th Amendment. You have supported the president, yet many people feel he incited the violence yesterday. Do you think he should be removed from office?
4: Well, I think we're, we're 13 days out, and he's going to leave at noon on January 20th. Um, I, I do think the president's rhetoric and his language has been over the line. I think it was irresponsible. I think it was reckless. Uh, and, and I think he, he needs to recognize it. And, and, and he has said that he will uh, recognize and participate in the peaceful transfer of power. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what should happen. It took him quite a
1: while to say that he would participate in that. I mean, do you think he's responsible for what happened yesterday?
4: I, look, I, I think he plainly bears some responsibility. At the end of the day, criminals are responsible for their own conduct and the terrorists who conducted that attack, they bear the responsibility. But I think his, his angry rhetoric was, was reckless and I think it was harmful.
1: Do you think he should have been called out earlier by some Republican lawmakers for this rhetoric?
4: Well, I think he has been called out for his rhetoric over and over and over again. As you know, Julie, the president has said things for four years that that, that, that I've disagreed with. I disagree with a lot of what he says. Uh, but at the same time, I think in the last four years, we accomplished a lot of good policy victories for the people of Texas. And we saw tremendous economic growth as a result of that.
1: You're seeing Democrats... The Texas Democratic Party, some Democratic lawmakers, they're calling for your resignation over this. Your reaction to that?
4: Oh, I think it's people playing politics. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that, that, that Democrats are looking to take out strong conservative leaders. And so I, I, I'm not, I, I just have to chuckle when, when they engage in, in attacks. And, and, you know, sadly, uh, you've got a lot of Democrats who are using incendiary rhetoric. They're complaining about the president's rhetoric, and, and they're right in that. But then they're turning around and using the kind of rhetoric that just, just throws gasoline on flames. I, I think everyone needs to calm down. This is a time when our country is divided. And, and I think we need to come together. That's, that's, that's a big part of why I proposed an election commission, because I think it would have helped this nation heal to have a credible, credible adjudication of these claims. Unfortunately, Congress did not adopt that suggestion, but I I thought it was very positive to bring 11 senators together to jointly make that recommendation.
1: Senator, there's been a lot of talk about 2024, and you've heard it. People saying that what you did and what you took part in have to do with your political aspirations. What do you say to that?
4: What I say to that is what I was doing yesterday is what I've done every day for the last eight years, which is doing my job representing the people of Texas, representing 29 million Texans who charged me to go and fight for the people of Texas every day. And the people of Texas have real concerns, have concerns about the integrity of the election, have concerns uh, about widespread allegations of voter fraud. One of the things that I said on the Senate floor yesterday, if you look at recent polling, 39% of Americans uh, believe the election was rigged. That is heartbreaking. That is tragic. And and that's not just Republicans, by the way. That includes 31% of Independents. It even includes 17% of Democrats. And and I think all of us, Republicans and Democrats, need to come together and address those ve- very real concerns because we need we need the American people to have confidence in our democratic system. To have confidence. that the the laws are being followed, that elections are fairly conducted. And, and, And I think there are far too many people in Washington because they like the outcome of this election that dismiss those claims. I think that's being irresponsible. Congress has a responsibility to ensure that elections are conducted consistent with rule of law.
1: Senator, before I let you go, looking at everything that happened yesterday and with the objections, if you had it to do all over again, would you?
4: Yes, absolutely. I would object and urge that we should follow the law and follow the Constitution. That's what I was elected to do. That's why eleven senators came together with me to 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 make those objections and to urge a path. And this is important, Julie. You know, there's been a lot of, I, I, I think, mistaken reporting on this. People suggesting that the objections were to set aside the results of the election. That's not what the objections were for. That's not what we were seeking. We explicitly. Said, that's not the objective we want. The purpose of, of the objections was to urge the appointment of an emergency election commission to ensure the integrity of the election, to hear the claims, to hear the evidence, and, and a commission that, that, that would have real credibility as an impartial body. I think that would have been very good for the country in terms of helping bring people together and getting bipartisan confidence in elections. That, that was doing the right thing. And, and look what happened with the terrorists storming the Capitol. That is a sad day in this country when terrorists are able, able to come into the Capitol. But I'll tell you, I was, I ended the day very proud of our nation. And here's why. After the terrorists stormed the Capitol, the Capitol police and law enforcement, they bravely engaged with them. They removed them from the Capitol and we returned to the Senate floor and we completed our business. We continued debating the objections. We continued debating how best to deal with preserving and protecting the integrity of our elections. And we went through and completed the certification of the election. That was doing our job. And I was glad that we returned to where the terrorists had struck to demonstrate that American democracy, the rule of law, the constitution is strong and, and that we will continue going forward and we will continue now with a peaceful transition of power to the next administration.
1: Senator, thanks so much for being with us.
4: Thank you, Julie.
0: Flying a little under the radar this week is the start of the 87th Texas Legislature, which begins on Tuesday. Over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at some of the different bills filed by state lawmakers from our area. This week, we talked to State Representative Jared Patterson, a Republican from Frisco who filed a bill in response to more than a dozen murders at senior living facilities in the Dallas area. First, a little background. In March 2018, Billy Shamirmir was arrested and charged with capital murder in connection to the death of a Dallas woman in her own home. As authorities dug deeper, they found more and more murders linked to Shamir-Mir, many at Dallas area senior living facilities. He is accused of smothering women and stealing their jewelry. On December 29th, the Dallas County Grand Jury handed down the 18th capital murder charge against Shamir Mir, this one in the death of 87-year-old Glenna Day, who was killed in October 2016. He has also been linked, through medical examiner reports and civil suits, to six other deaths, bringing the total number to 24. Investigators say Shamir Mir posed as a maintenance worker to gain access to the women's apartments and later sold or pawned their jewelry. Before Shamir Mir was charged, the cause of death for some of the victims was listed as natural causes. One family told the Dallas Morning News they learned of the change in cause of death on social media. All that takes us back to House Bill 723, filed by Patterson, which would require officials to notify next of kin when a death certificate is amended. So here is State Representative Jared Patterson with Julian Gromer.
1: Representative Patterson, thanks so much for being with us. Let's talk a little bit about this bill.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, House Bill 723 states that a medical examiner must contact the next of kin if there's any change to the death certificate. That happened here in my district, actually, my next door neighbor. Um, Her mother's death certificate was changed without her knowledge, and she found out about it on social media of all places. And so we want to make sure that that never happens again, that if there must be a change on the death certificate, that the next of kin is notified immediately.
3: So representative, what was the major motivation behind
5: this for you? Well, it, it's just an incredible story. I don't, I don't think that folks in the Dallas-Fort Worth area realize that we had a serial killer on the loose starting at least in 2016 uh, and, and going for a period of two years. Uh, there's at least 24 murders that have been linked to this guy so far. Um, he's currently, as you know, you know, being held Um, right now in jail and awaiting trial. But this is a massive story. There's a massive amount of information that is still yet to come out about it. And so it's it's just a story where our seniors were in an unsafe scenario that their families didn't know about that they didn't know about. And so there's going to be a lot of legislation, legislation, I believe that comes out of this story. This is just one piece of the pie that I've filed so far.
1: You know, this is all going to be f- happening in the legislature with A, this case still ongoing, and B, legislature beginning in very uncertain times.
5: Absolutely. Yeah, we, we really don't know what the legislature is going to be like yet. You know, we, we start on Tuesday, uh, the 12th, and we're going to be <laughs> um, trying to figure it out as we go. There, there's a lot of COVID restrictions in place in terms of testing and. Wearing masks and hand sanitizer and social distancing and so on and so forth, things that, you know, for the most part, folks are used to by now. But we really don't know how active we're going to be with our colleagues. You know, one of the ways that the legislature works is a very intimate uh, role that you have with your colleagues of of discussions and debating issues and talking about big things that need to happen. Uh, That happens in offices, that happens on the House floor in very close proximity to one another. We really don't know how that's all gonna play out this session with the circumstances of COVID-19.
3: And representative also, a, a, as you know, typically on the first day, that first Tuesday is really exciting. And uh, the lawmakers have their family and friends uh, on the floor, it's jam-packed, uh, you can barely move. I, I suspect it. That won't be the situation this time. What what will it look like in terms of taking the oath and the celebration that's around it?
5: Yeah, you know, it's disappointing um, for me personally. You know, this is my second time to to be sworn in at the Capitol. And I'm so glad that I had that first opportunity two years ago, surrounded by my wife and my children and my parents and my in-laws were there. And it was just a, a great moment. Uh, for me personally um, there. And so it's very disappointing, especially for the freshman members coming in that uh, they're not gonna be surrounded by their family. There are a number of restrictions in place. Um, I believe the freshman members are the only members that are going to actually have family on uh, the the first floor, the house floor area, not necessarily on the floor of the house. It's gonna be outside the rail, I believe. Uh, The rest of us have uh, family members uh, at maximum of two that will be in the gallery. Um, you know, so I won't have my wife there holding the Bible. This will be my fourth time to be sworn into public office and the first time where my wife's not holding the Bible for me. So it's definitely going to be a change. Uh, there's going to be much you know, fewer people. The ceremony itself will be much shorter, uh, which necessarily isn't a bad thing. Uh, we could do with a few less speeches. Um, you know, my daughter actually fell asleep two years ago while my wife was holding her, and it was the perfect picture of our family with my wife holding my sleeping daughter in one arm, and in the other hand holding the Bible that I'm getting sworn in on, and that was just a perfect picture of of what she's been doing ever since you know we made the decision for me to run for this office. So um, I, I regret that that it's not going to be the same situation this time. Necessary though, do you believe? Oh, 100. percent I mean, I you've you've got to take precautions, and uh, now you know the, the extent of the precautions. I, I question. Um, you know, it is mandatory testing for all of our guests to come into that room. Um, and um, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that, but I understand that there's negotiations in place and that, you know, everyone doesn't agree with me on it. So, um, you know, there, there is mandatory testing for our guests in the gallery. And I don't know how many folks know that, but that's, that's it's not mandatory to come into the building, but it is mandatory to come into the, the house chamber for the swearing in ceremony.
3: What are you expecting uh, out of the new speaker? Uh, dave feeling uh,
5: out of Beaumont. You know, dave has got the right experience that we need. You know, he was a staffer for many years. Uh, so he he's very intimate with the processes of, ha- of how the staff, of how the house runs. And really that's one of the most important roles of a speaker to call balls and strikes and to make sure that we're doing what we need to do from a logistical standpoint. Um, in terms of, of the other aspects of being a speaker, he's someone that I trust. And for me, that was the most important thing when I was looking at who I was going to support a speaker is someone that I trusted, uh, not, not to force me into certain votes or away from certain votes, but allow me to vote my conscience, vote my district and represent my district and try to work my bills to the best of my ability. I did not want a speaker that wouldn't allow me that opportunity to represent my district in the way that I felt
3: I should. Have you looked at your staff and said, hey guys, you too can be speaker. Look at that guy. He That's right. To- absolutely.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, anything's possible. And you know, Dade has the right experience. He he's he's got the right temperament. He's got the right, um, in my view, uh, conservative chops on a lot of the issues that are important to me. And so I'm excited. I'm ready to get to work. Look, the the executive branch has had their say in 2020. The judicial branch has had their say in 2020, and it's time for the legislative branch to implement our say now that we have this opportunity over the next five months. And, you know, it's during a pandemic, it's gonna be challenging, but it's important not for the 150 individuals in the Texas house, but for the, the body of the Texas house moving forward, that legislators speak up and get a say on some of these big crucial issues that are affecting our state right now. We're a co-equal branch of government and we're gonna show that this session. Representative, thank you so much
1: for taking the time to join us. Uh, Best of luck when you head down to the legislature. Be safe.
5: Thank you both so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: COVID-19 continues to surge in the U.S. and Texas. The state has repeatedly set new highs for coronavirus hospitalizations and deaths in recent weeks. And to complicate things even more, residents and local leaders are growing frustrated with the state's vaccine rollout. Last week, several North Texas counties set up online registration to sign up for the vaccine, but the wait lists in some places quickly climbed into the tens of thousands. Dallas County is set to launch three large-scale inoculation sites, but vaccines will be available by appointment only. For more information on the vaccine in Dallas County, visit dallascounty.org. Here's Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins with Julian Gromer.
1: First of all, people are frustrated. They're concerned about the rollout and when they'll get the vaccine.
6: Sure, me too. Uh, and uh, we're, you know, things are improving. So on Monday morning, um, tomorrow morning, you're going to see uh, centers opening up in Dallas County at Fair Park, uh, also drive-throughs. But these are all by appointment only. And there's also uh, similar operations happening in Denton and Tarrant County. So, we're going to be getting more and more people. We'll get more and more vaccine from the state as production increases. Um, But the main thing you need to do is sign up at at the county where you live. um, Sign up at these counties. And uh, once you do that, you'll be on the list. You don't need to call and check. Hopefully, we'll be able to send you some periodic update information. And then you'll get a call when we reach you, uh, when we reach your your, uh, number. And um, you get a call, you get a text, you get an email, it'll give you a day and an appointment time. We'll get you in, we'll get you vaccinated. We're gonna vaccinate uh, thousands of people uh, this week uh, that are 1B, but we've got over 100,000 people on our list. So we obviously can't get to all of you in the first week.
3: Uh, And so in order to get the vaccine, you have to sign up with the county, right? There's no way around
6: that. So to get it from a county, You have to sign up with the county. Now, you may be called in by Baylor because you're a Baylor patient. Right. Okay. You want that county vaccine. You live in Denton County. You need to sign up in Denton County, Dallas County. Sign up with us.
3: Judge, it's been projected that our worst days uh, with this pandemic are not behind us, but ahead of us. How do you um, deal with that, uh, particularly in terms of? uh, COVID cases and hospital hospitalizations?
6: You're right. Our worst days are likely to be January and February because we're an all-time hamper spread. Uh, a, a couple of days ago, we only had 11 uh, ICU beds available in the morning. Um, we're already a place where nurses have far more patients than they should have to give optimum care. So we need everyone to make their very best decisions to avoid those crowds foregoes, get-togethers, you know, do those things that will telecommute to the fullest extent possible, that will keep us safe. What's going to happen, Gromer, is in March, you're going to start to see the benefits from this vaccination, and you're going to see those hospital numbers improving, those number of new cases going down, and if we keep making smart decisions, which is a big if, but if we keep making smart decisions, those numbers are going to get better and better with each passing uh, month, actually with each passing week. We're gonna get back to our pre-COVID activities uh, sometime this year, and we're gonna beat COVID this year.
1: You know, you touched on this a little bit, Judge, but there have been days where there are under two dozen ICU beds in the county. What happens if this gets worse?
6: we well, you have a situation where people that need a type of care aren't going to be able to get it, and you're going to have a situation where where nursing ratios of 12 to 1 in the unit, which is optimum for that unit, go to 18 or 19 uh, uh, to 1, and that means less time and attention to each patient. Or you're going to press people into service who are not skilled and trained in that field. So it's a bad deal. You don't want that to happen, and it's not just COVID. It's car wrecks. it's problem pregnancies, it's anybody that's got to be in the hospital. So our healthcare heroes need your help to help you and the people that you love. Make those smart decisions, listen to the doctors, wear your mask, avoid the crowds, telecommute. Think about when you're shopping, pick it up on order online or call ahead and pick it up. Don't go in.
3: Judge, in the short time we have left, I'm sure you're happy about this. Democrats now have the White House, uh, the House, and the Senate. How do you think that will affect uh, your efforts to to battle this uh, COVID pandemic?
6: One of the big sticking points with the Republican Senate was a refusal to uh, send any help for local and state government to battle COVID uh, and get the vaccine now. And so now that we have Democrats in the Senate, hopefully we can get uh, the resources that we need To get our people vaccinated faster so it's going to be a a big help um you know i'm very happy about that not just because i happen to be a democrat but because i happen to oversee emergency management and this has been an unmitigated disaster Uh, the president that we have right now and the senate that we have right now could not have done a worse job with this
1: dallas county judge clay jenkins thanks so much for joining us thank you
0: Thanks to Senator Ted Cruz, Representative Colin Allred, Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins, and Representative Jared Patterson for joining us this week. Remember, the Texas legislative session starts on Tuesday, and you can follow that and everything else related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com. We'll talk to you next week.